Blah, 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 blah. Blah, 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 blah. Microphones of madness. Hey, everybody. It's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney. Over there is Steve. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And today we are talking The Changeling by Victor Laval. Uh, This is a novel, kind of a, what would you call it, an urban fantasy or a fractured fairy tale? Uh, It's kind of a combination of both. Uh, I think Laval himself um, considers it a fairy tale. Well, it says right there on the first sentence of the book that this fairy tale begins in the midst of a garbage strike. So... It is a fairy tale. It's definitely got a lot of urban fantasy um, themes and moments mm-hmm. in it. But, oh, absolutely. But uh, it's it's more the, the urban... Don't get me wrong. There are definitely fantastic parts to this. Oh, yes. But they're not as heavy-handed as you normally get in urban fantasy. Like, uh, ur- urban fantasy, usually you have, like, the protagonist completely enters this other world. Like, uh, I'm thinking like Neverwhere. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, yeah, it's a lot of Neil Gaiman on, on that list. <laughs> Neverwhere, the, uh, Stardust. <laughs> well, I mean, even, even well, to the point of, uh, like, uh, you know, the Dresden files and things like that. Right. Even like uh, Harry Potter. Right. And and in general, what you have is you have a a separate world that exists layered on top of ours. Right. Even like uh, if you play like D20 Modern, they have an urban fantasy setting for it. And that's exactly what it is. It's like a it's layered on top of of the regular setting. Right. Right. Of modern fantasy. But in a lot of urban fantasy, what you see is that the, the, the special world is. Uh, kept separate, often by force. Right, it's secret, and you have to to you have to meet certain criteria to become part of it. Right, and usually it's not it's it's un, you're an unwilling participant if you're not part of it originally. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the changeling, though, the fantastical elements exist side by side, and they're very subtle. Yes, it's not. Um, this extraordinary high magic people throwing fireballs and stuff like that. It's very subtle and it, it does read like an old fairy tale, like the original Brothers Grimm's or some of the other folklore. Or, or the, the Legends of the Changeling. Right. Which is, this is a retelling of. Mm-hmm. A retelling of it in, in, in a much more modern setting. And this is what it says on the box. So what we have is we have a fellow named Apollo Cagua. He's our, I hope I said that correctly. He is our protagonist throughout the story. The, the action follows him. And he's, he's a bit of a special child himself. Um, you know, his, his whole coming into being started with the garbage strike. Right. And, and his, his worldview um, I don't want to give too much away because this is 
a, a new book, newish book. It's only a few months old and it's really well worth reading. And there's like parts of it that are like key surprises. And I don't want to, I don't want to spoil anything, but his worldview is based on some falsehoods. Yeah. Like a lot of folks. Uh, one of the things that was refreshing about this book is that unlike some of the other things we've read, it is not throwing you into this pit of despair and anguish right off the bat. No, it takes and, about a hundred pages before that. Well, well even, even, even when we are thrown into the pit of despair, we are brought out. Apollo has lighter moments um, even even in the midst of his own personal tragedy. Well, he, he goes through um, a, a healing process. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that the plot ends up becoming part of, mm-hmm. or in spite of, really, his healing process. Right. But he does go through grief, the stages of grief. He does, you know, anger, regret, blah, 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 blah. He's like, he does, his life doesn't end when the shit hits the fan. It does for a minute, but then he gets better. Right. And it's a lot more realistic um, with the way human beings actually work than someone snapping and having to go off to the asylum because, you know, monsters are coming at the window, the door. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, and and it also kind of gives you that that feeling when you're reading when you're reading the early chapters. Um, It gives you this almost. Uh, delightful romance kind of feel to it. Uh, you know, it's it is it's not dead serious the entire time. It's lighthearted. You know, mom and dad meet. Apollo comes. You know, things happen. Then they're separated. And it's you know, nah, it's kind of modern family sort of situation. And then we go through Apollo meeting his wife, his future wife Emma, and how it kind of mirrors. His mother and father, right, and then uh, then it starts slowly integrating more and more of the magical elements to it, right, and then it culminates with uh, Apollo and Emma's son being born on the A train, and then then shit really hits the fan. Yeah, and then you have like this slow descent into, mm-hmm. I won't say a magical place, but like an irreality, like a, uh, um, well, in college, when, when you took a, a, took a class in folklore, and they would call it a liminal place, not quite right. reality, not quite fantasy. And um, it, it's told from his point of view. And the key is he doesn't notice any of this, but it's his wife mm-hmm. who, who starts to notice things. And instead of, it's very clever, instead of uh, describing it from her point of view, he describes it from his point of view. And that becomes a, a, a point of separation between them. And as she notices more and more of what's going on, and it's little things, he, the the rift between them grows bigger and bigger until it all culminates in this. You, it's a scene of postpartum depression from his mm-hmm. point of view, but from her point of view, it's 
something completely different. But right. it's it's done so well that you you the reader think of it as like this extreme postpartum depression, right? Or or even the um, quote unquote Lovecraftian descent into madness. For her, though, her he's watching her, and and he's we're getting his point of view, and it looks like yeah postpartum depression or or she's slowly going mad for some reason and then we get this absolutely horrific event that occurs and you know emma disappears uh, the baby is supposedly dead brian ends or apollo ends up in a chair smacked in the face with a hammer you know that that particular sequence right there where he's in the, tied to the chair and, and we go through this through what seems like a, a, a long time as far as reading goes and it's but a tough it's sequence to read it's not but it's not it feels like that that we're suffering right along with him tied up not knowing what's going on he's positioned Apollo in the room in a very visual sort of way, but in, in a way where he has no visual, he, you know, Apollo can't describe to us what he sees because he can't see anything, you know? So we get what he feels and what he feels is a rising terror and it's it's handled very well. It is. It's a it, it, it's a it's a clever way to describe the indescribable. Yes, um, you know that's always so hard to do. I mean, you could mm-hmm. flat out come out and say the thing before me was indescribable, and, and talk about. It's parts of it shifting over each other and tentacles and blah, blah, blah. Or you could do it um, like uh, Balogun Ojitade does, mm-hmm. where it's like sense impressions and fast cuts of, of, mm-hmm. of scenes to create like this chaos and confusion in your mind. Or you could do it like this, where you get impressions through just like little bursts of uh, what he's able to, to detect around him. Right. All wrapped in a in a in a nice package of helplessness, right? And and it's not just the visuals because you, you get like the sounds of the of the kettle, mm-hmm. um, over, boiling over on the on the stove, and you get the heat, just like the intense heat. Mm-hmm. And you know maybe a chapter or two prior to that, you get the story of his wife who survived a fire when she was a child. Mm-hmm. That hurt that. Turned out that um, her own father had set. Right. So, so that's in the back of your mind while the while the kettle's boiling over on the stove, and he's tied to this chair next to a radiator. And uh, every time he tries to move, it, 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 the way he's tied up forces his head back into the radiator, so he burns at the back of his neck. It's really, really well done. Yeah, very, very intense scene. And then after that. Of course, you know, you build up and build up and build up and, you know, it is a, you know, a horror type of situation. So there's always that explosion of violence and there is definitely an explosion of violence. Yeah. And then 
the scene shifts and it's two, three months later and Apollo is getting out of jail. Right. Because of things that happen afterwards. And, you know, I liked that element as well. I mean, sure, we could have followed him throughout that entire scene, but I think the events, you know, from the chair leading up to his, you know, imprisonment and, and time in, on Rikers Island really would have slowed down the pacing of the book. We'd skip that section and we get it in like this description of what you happened. Get, you get it in flashbacks, which is cool because it satisfies that curiosity of what happened. Well, not just flashbacks. You get it in kind of group therapy sessions. Yeah. And, and but having that, that break there actually kind of, it, it's a nice break from the intensity of the violent scene mm-hmm. that we just described to, to go from that and the buildup of that and the revelation that happens during that. And then he's coming out of prison and trying to put his life back together. And, right. and you know, everyone has had that kind of transition Maybe not prison, but everyone's had something intense happen and then have the, the, the bottom, you know, just pulled out from under you and trying to 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 rebuild after that. Right, right. And he, even even he says he was like a zombie during that that intercessory period. So, you know, you get the last moment of Apollo and then you get Apollo's rebirth. And in a lot of ways, this book is very much a hero's journey. It's just that Apollo is a very unlikely sort of hero. Yeah, he, he is. And, you know, he definitely is not necessarily the hero. No, he's not necessarily the hero. I mean, there's there are many people that feel the archetypal roles throughout the book, but we're following along with Apollo. Right. So, you know, he's de facto hero. And and we see how, how he changes and how, how he goes from the mundane world. And it ends with that transformative experience in the kitchen. And then he is brought into, he is brought into the liminal world. The day he gets out of prison. Right. So, so we see we see his wife's shifting into that liminal world, or the special world as they call it. I think sometimes when you're talking about Campbell, and we see her transition, and then it culminates, and then we see his fall, and then a, you know him coming into the liminal world himself. And I think I think it's really just really well done. And you have your assortment of fairy tale characters as well. Um, you know, you have his friend, his friend and fellow bookseller uh, Patrice, who kind of takes on this wizardly You're a wizard, role. Patrice, right? And then you have then you have the other guy, Walter Wheeler, I think, or William yeah. Wheeler. Uh, I think it was William. I think Walter's a yeah. Walter's Walter is James's character. <laughs> James is the William William Wheeler, who also is a bit of a wizard. And, you know, I I really hate to say this, but but it is kind of a spoiler. But William Wheeler is the evil wizard. 
Well, and and the the cool thing is that they're not fireball shooting wizards. They're computer yeah. geeks, right? Who you who who use the magic of of technology. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it, it's it's a metaphor for wizard. <laughs> Right, it's a metaphor for wizard. He's not like you know. He's not Harry Dresden. He's not Harry Potter. You know, he's nothing like this. But really, some of the things, some of the things that people do with technology, and particularly what we see Patrice and and William do, really is kind of magical. Um, you know, and especially because Victor Laval does not really explain what's going on. And I'm not that computer savvy where, you know, I can tell you how to hack into somebody's camera on their laptop. Right. But, you know, but it was in the, it has been in the news that that, yeah, it has been in the news that that sort of thing happens. Um, you know, and you have guys, you know, um, both Patrice and, William code apps. Right. They, they design apps. I mean, people do that. Mm-hmm. And one, I mean, one of the apps is fairly mundane. It, it, if it even exists at all was, uh, it's like Uber for boats, yeah, bed and bre- Airbnb, or Airbnb for boats, which is, you know, yeah, it's kind of mundane. Um, and that's how we get introduced to William and William becomes this far more sinister type of, hacker character um but really when you think about it his use of other people's webcams and things like that is kind of like scrying it's the the wizard in front of the crystal ball right i mean that's kind of what we're doing right now <laughs> i'm because you know we're we're using google hangouts to look at each other and communicate with each other through the same technology that mm-hmm. Yes, we are. We are using a magic mirror to communicate with each other, right. and and using a technology to record our voices for right. other people to listen later on. Their but it's it's like camera. what they say, you know, the, the old tech- Arthur C. Clarke thing. Yeah, as technology gets more and more fantastic, you know, it more and more resembles magic. Yeah, and it, and it works out really well in the context of the story. Yeah, and and it's not like the t- like. Uh, Kang coming back to the 20th century with all sorts of gadgetry to foil the the Avengers and it looks like magic. This is like fairly mundane use of mm-hmm. believable technology. Phones. And and he really takes that stride. A lot of people talk about, okay, the first step of writing horror in a modern setting is to get rid of everybody's phones. Everybody has their fucking phones throughout the entire story. And they're yeah. they're using them to various extents, right? Well, well, phones are you know identities are faked, mm-hmm. uh, phones are hacked. I mean, there's definitely a lot of things that you can do with phone to fuck with phones and computers to to make a scary story. Yeah, and and I, this isn't like a straight up scary story, but it's definitely got horror elements. Mm-hmm. And it has horror elements. It's kind of a, a darker sort of fairy tale, but it definitely keeps that, that fairy tale like um, environment weaving in and out of this, this uh, trauma survivor narrative. Right. If, if, you know, if you, if you look at it, if you take a step back, yes, it, 
definitely has some like horror elements that are mm-hmm. pretty blatant. But if you're reading it, it reads like a fairy tale. And yeah, fairy tales have horror elements. Uh, being eaten by a wolf in your grandmother's bed is pretty horrific. <laughs> right. Right. So there's 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 elements of, of fantasy, there's elements of horror, and that's the the fairy tale is all about that. You know? And it and it just it comes across as a as a fairy tale. So very well 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 done in terms of incorporating different genres for suit. Odds Buckins, my man. Um, God damn it. <laughs> That's so Joshi. Um, to incorporate different different uh, genres to help booster the main genre that it's in, mm-hmm. which would be fairy tale. Right. There you go. You can cut out the oohs and ahs and ums. No. <laughs> now... Would you also say that this falls under the weird tale? Uh, yeah, it's kind of a weird tale. Um, but would, I mean, would, it, would, it, would it be the modern setting that makes it a uh, weird tale, or I, I, I mean, you it's know, I it's the the genre blending. But you know, like like we said, I don't like, know. I'd, like a fairy tale. I'd argue that that weird tales have their origins in fairy tales, and that you know, you know, twist. Take a fairy and tweak it here, and you get you get um you know something different. Mm-hmm. You know you get the you get the outsider, or um, even better, from beyond. You know mm-hmm. you get these things that exist on a different level. Tweak it a little bit, and they're fish monsters that you can't move, or they'll attack you. Uh, resonating, right? So, yeah, there's definitely they're they're very closely related. You take an ogre and you turn it into protoplasm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or or a dragon or something of that nature. Yeah, I mean, it just, you know, reskin some stuff. This book is definitely one to check out. You can pick it up pretty much anywhere books are sold. Oh, Look people, at are, people aren't even looking at this because we're audio only. Yeah, he's holding up his copy right there. Yes, so it. it is published by Spiegel and Growl. Mm-hmm. Which is probably a division of somebody or other, somebody yeah. and somebody else. Yeah, but it's Spiegel and Growl. I got it at Barnes and Noble. Um, hopefully, it'll be out in paperback. I bought it in hardcover because I really like um, Victor Laval. Mm-hmm. I like He's his fantastic. I, um, I've read a couple of his other books that weren't The Ballad of Black Tom, right? And uh, yeah, he's he's the real deal. I mean, he's like one of those guys that are going to come out of the morass of writers that we have and do something special. We've had we've had some interactions with uh, Victor, and he's he's a fantastic guy. He is. He likes Motorhead, so he's cool in my book. See, I didn't know that. I just learned something. He has a Motorhead T-shirt in his old press photograph. Sorry, Victor. I don't stalk you like Steve does. I just read his book. <laughs> So yeah, you can get this like Steve got this in hardcover at Barnes and Noble. You can get it on Amazon, of course, because you can get every fucking thing in the world on Amazon. That's true. Um, and you can probably pick it up directly from the publisher. That's usually a route that we suggest. Yes, iTunes, iTunes. Uh, yeah, if you want like your digital copies. Yeah, it's not an obscure small press book. 
So it's definitely not something hard to get. Right, right, which makes it a bit of a deviation for us. I know. Well, I mean, you know, you got to read the good stuff. Well, and this is the good stuff. I mean, this is the like, like you said, this is the real deal. This is this is a fantastic book. Um, you know, it's it's not really for children. It's deep. It's deep. There's there's a lot you can unpack out of it. I mean, we unpacked a little bit. I'm sure we could probably, if we really sat down and go on for two, three hours, unpacking every little tiny detail. And why would you want to read it? Right, exactly. But we're telling you, read this book. This is this is a two thumbs up book. Yeah, I mean, you, we could talk about how um, Apollo, his hero's journey involves admitting that he's wrong, and how um, there's like ton of feminist elements in this, even though it's written from the point of view of a, of a male lead. Yes. We could do all of that because all of that does exist in this book, but we're not that kind of show. <laughs> we're, we're not thug notes. Oh. Yeah, that's true. Alright, so. But, but it does have feminist overtones, even though it's written with a male lead. Yes, it does. <laughs> Yes, it does. And a lost city of sorts. Yeah. I'm kind of a mobile lost city. Mm-hmm. And it's got monsters. I mean, it's got monsters. On top of that, it does have monsters. You got witches. You got animals. monsters. You got evil wizards. You got, you got heroes who aren't entirely, you know. Apollo is not like a hero. But, you know, he's probably one of the most likable guys we've read about in a long time. Well, that's the other thing. He's just like a guy. He's like someone that you would know. Someone you would yeah. maybe catch, have a drink with or go to a ball game with. And then, you know, you have your, your villain who's, you know, he's got like some. He's MRA, got a fucking MRA. MAGA hat. and yeah, he's uh, got some MRA issues. He's got MRA shit going on. He even uses the word cuck at one point. He does. It had me rolling out of my chair. You know, and that's that's one of the things that's great about Victor Laval is that he, he brings these issues to the table, but he's subtle about it. It's like, if you're paying attention, you catch it. And if you're like us and engage in a, a hefty bit of schadenfreude. <laughs> More than hefty. You uh, you just can't help but you know, get a little chuckle, <laughs> and then you're like, "Yeah, that motherfucker got exactly what he deserved," and he does. Yeah, so, yeah. I just slapped the microphone. That's how good this book is. Go ahead. Like we said, it's available pretty much everywhere. Pick it up, read it, love it, sleep with it, caress it. On your pillow at night. Don't go overboard. You know, just don't don't slobber on it or anything, because you know, whatever I just said. Until next time. Keep thirty luck. Keep thirty luck points. We'll talk to you later. Bye.